0: Spiritualism, the belief in the ability to speak with the dead, started as a practical joke in 1848 when two teenage girls in upstate New York realized they could produce seemingly paranormal noises by cracking their toe knuckles of all things. The Fox sisters delighted in their gullible mother's response and soon convinced her these rapping sounds were actually produced by a murdered vagabond buried on their property. It was, the girls said, his form of communication, conversations that only they had the power to initiate. Within two decades, the organized spiritualism movement was a worldwide phenomenon, and it wasn't just exploitable housewives who took the bait. Men and women from all walks of life, levels of education, and strata of society fell under its spell, political leaders among them. There were, of course, presidents who didn't believe in this supernatural mumbo-jumbo. But to paraphrase the old cliché, Psychics aren't known for letting the facts get in the way of a good story, which is, coincidentally, what I'm about to tell. Whether it's history, crime, or legend, Stephanie Hoover has that story. Abraham Lincoln is believed by many people to have been a strong believer in spiritualism and its fortune-telling mediums. The most widely repeated and erroneous story about Lincoln is that he recounted a premonition of his own death. This account was cemented in 20th century popular culture by Lewis William Rogers' book, Dreams and Premonitions, which details Abraham Lincoln's famous premonition of seeing his own casket in the White House. As corroboration, Rogers quotes from the diary of then-Secretary of the Navy Gideon Wells, who supposedly witnessed the president's retelling of his vision. Upon comparing Rogers' interpretation with Wells' actual words, however, It's clear that Rogers misquoted Wells' diary entry and took it completely out of context. Still, it is true that both Mary Todd Lincoln and her husband did enjoy the company of psychic mediums and did indeed invite them to the White House. One of their favorites was Nettie Coburn Maynard, a self-proclaimed sleeping preacher who delivered her prognostications while in a sleep-like trance. Maynard helped cement the theory that Abraham Lincoln was a spiritualist by refusing to say that he wasn't. When asked about the president's beliefs, Maynard replied that if consulting and following the advice of the spirits was evidence, then Lincoln was surely a spiritualist. This guilt-by-association theory is hard to swallow, however, when one considers that one of Lincoln's most trusted advisors was Professor Joseph Henry, one of the founding members of the Smithsonian Institution and an early inventor of the electric telegraph. Henry was a fierce anti-spiritualist who believed it was his duty to rid followers of the movement of what he called their dangerous delusions. In one noteworthy instance, Lincoln called Henry to the White House to determine the validity of a seance medium with whom Lincoln was particularly impressed. Henry quickly and bluntly disabused the president of the notion that this self-proclaimed medium possessed supernatural powers, although Henry was offering opinion rather than proven fact. Several years later, by serendipitous accident, Henry was able to verify the advice he'd given the president. During a train trip, Henry found himself seated next to a fellow passenger who was also a manufacturer of telegraphic instruments. This young man confided to Henry that spiritualists often contracted him to produce customized versions of his products to feign voice manifestations. Among the young manufacturers' customers was the very medium about whom President Lincoln sought Henry's counsel. Ten years after Lincoln's death, another man in the White House took up the spiritualism mantle. Unlike Lincoln, however, Henry Wilson, vice president to Ulysses S. Grant, was more reticent to publicly demonstrate his interest, although he did make appearances in spiritualist circles. Wilson once posed for notoriously bogus spirit photographer William Mummer. He was also outed in a book called 40 Years on the Spiritual Rostrum by Warren Chase, although many of Chase's allegations were speculative at best. In the summer of 1874, though, Wilson himself seemed to confirm his interest, if not full belief, in spiritualism. In Philadelphia, a couple named Nelson and Jenny Holmes were hosting seances for some of the city's and country's most influential figures. During these well attended sittings, the Holmeses conjured their word, not mine the spirit of Katie King, a lovely young apparition who enthralled audiences with beautiful descriptions of life after death. For a brief season, Katie King and Nelson and Jenny Holmes were the toast of the spiritualism world. But it took just eight months for the trio to be thoroughly discredited. Fortunately for Wilson, he'd already denounced them as frauds, a statement that likely saved him from deep political embarrassment. Of course, politicians don't have to believe in the supernatural to be the subjects of paranormal conjecture as proven by the predictions of the late celebrity astrologer and psychic Gene Dixon. Dixon was born Lydia Emma Pinkert and spent her childhood in California. A devout Catholic, at age 35, she married car dealer, later real estate salesman, James L. Dixon. Dixon's father, also a car salesman, was a business partner of famed movie producer Hal Roach. It appears she learned a bit about the show business world and marketing from these men. In 1956, Dixon made the prediction that would ignite her career as a celebrity psychic. In discussing the upcoming 1960 election, Dixon said that the Democrat, quote-unquote, would win, but would be assassinated, although not necessarily in his first term. This, of course, was remembered when John F. Kennedy was gunned down in Texas, The far less reported fact, however, was that in 1960, just prior to the election, Dixon gave a different prediction altogether. She changed her guess to say that Richard Nixon would decisively thump Kennedy, thanks in part to Nixon's political manhandling of Russia's Nikita Khrushchev. In 1972, Dixon made, even for her, a particularly bad string of forecasts. She told readers of her column to not be surprised if Spiro Agnew ended up in the Oval Office one day. He resigned over corruption charges in 1973. She said she saw a ceasefire coming in Vietnam, that Nixon would enact some form of national health care, and that Indira Gandhi and Golda Meir would maintain power. Gandhi was of course assassinated in 1984, and Maier resigned two years after Dixon's prediction. In 1973, during a lecture at New York's Hudson Valley Community College, Dixon predicted that Nixon would finish his second term, that unity among the races would occur during the students' lifetimes, and that divine intervention would resolve the Arab-Israeli crisis. She also claimed that the Antichrist was an 11-year-old boy. Like the self-proclaimed psychic Sylvia Brown, who post her, Jean Dixon spewed a barrage of predictions far too many for critics to earnestly track or invalidate. But Dixon's followers' cherry-picking of her limited and supposedly accurate predictions as a means of diminishing her plentiful errors came to be known as the Dixon Effect. In reality, Gene Dixon was, mathematically speaking, no more accurate than the average person offering random guesses. Well, that's my story about politicians and psychics and their somewhat rocky relationships. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe to this podcast and ask your friends to do the same. And remember, if you have any comments to share, visit stephaniehoover.com. This is Stephanie signing off and saying until next time, be well, be happy, and be kind.